Genesis 1.1. Page 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Lord, what a verse. Francis Schaeffer said this is verse is pregnant with meaning. It's foundational. Literally, the foundational verse of all the scripture. And yet we are familiar with it. And Lord, I just pray that today that as we revisit this verse that we become and are awakened again to the awe, to the power of what this verse means in our lives. How it points our minds and our hearts to you. Lord, this is Genesis 1-1, but we also know that we live in a Genesis 3 world and, and life can be difficult, can be tough. But if our lives are built on Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, the creator of heavens and earth, Lord, we can get through those difficult times with joy. Because the creator, God, points us to the Savior, Jesus. And Lord, that is where our hope is. That's where our foundation is. And so, Lord, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, that today you would open up their hearts, that you would open up their eyes so they could see your love, your grace, your mercy, your creativity, your power in creation, that that would point you and point them to Jesus, the one who lived, the one who died, and the one who rose again for their sins, to bring them into the kingdom, everlasting to everlasting, to bring them into heaven. Lord, again, thank you for this verse. May it hit us afresh this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. There are opening lines in movies or books that we read that just stick with you, isn't there? They're, they're etched in your mind. I know there's some that are etched in my mind, so we're going to have a little participation this morning. I'm going to give you guys a little quiz to see if you uh, know these lines. And you will. This is, this is not going to be too hard. So tell me what movie or book, and most of these books have movies, so they're very familiar with us. What, what line is this, this from? A in a galaxy far, far away. Yes! Talking about. All right. All right, this one. Easy. And again, you don't have to wait till I'm done. If you know it, go ahead and, and let it out. Boom. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit, right? How about this one? Might be a little bit more difficult. Boy called Clarence Scrub and Voyage of the Dawn Treader, C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narma, book three, book five, depending on what set you bought, right? All right, ladies, here's one for you. As well, the other ones were for you as well. But this one is a truth acknowledged and in possession of a in want of a wife. Pride in this. Very good. And then the last one. Everyone, call me Ishmael. Moby Dick. Right? These are, these are lines of books and movies that, that are etched in our mind. And The one that we just read. In the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. No one holds a candle. Or no, no, no line holds a candle to this one. 
sheer uh, number uh, of people that have read it. Uh, I, I looked up the statistics of Genesis. Uh, a record says this, there's an estimated 2.5 billion Bibles were in print between 1815 and 1975. And then the Economist goes on and estimates that more than 100 million new Bibles are printed every year. Every year. also pointed out that in 2005, the number of Bibles sold in the United States was conservatively estimated at 25 million, which then brings a staggering total over 6 billion Bibles in print over the world. Which indicates that 90% of all American households have at least one Bible, with the majority of having three Bibles. So the volume of how many Bibles are in print, people understand and know this verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's not counting the other thousands of years before. Read. This morning we get to dive in and, and revive our amazement of this foundational. And as I already said, something's not working. All right, there we go. Oh, that's right there. As I already said, this is a foundational verse. Like literally, this is the first verse in all of Scripture. And Francis Schaeffer, as I mentioned in my prayer, says it is pregnant with meaning. We cannot just go to the depths of this verse and unearth all that it means. And one of the reasons why is because it's so foundational is because this is the beginning of the story. It's the, the beginning of the story of the universe, of the, of the earth we inhabit. It's, it's the beginning of the story of you and me and our relationship with the Creator, with God. It is here... This is what I wanted you to remind. It is here that we are reminded that before we can know God as our Savior, we must first know Him as our Creator. We are reminded that before we can know God as our Savior, we must first know God as our Creator. So let's behold our God, our Creator. Number one, our God is self existent, He's eternal. Verse one, in the beginning, God. Now, now, don't you love how the Bible just starts? It, it doesn't give a suggestion that there is a God. It doesn't argue for God. It assumes it. The writer, probably Moses, says that God is a given. In the beginning, God. Moses assumes that everyone knows that there is a God. And before the beginning of creation of anything, there was God. Not about you, but I love that. I don't have to speculate. I come to the Bible knowing that there is a God. And he has revealed himself to us. This is where the Bible begins. So this is where we begin. God, Elohim, the, the majestic one, the supreme one, is definitely the one on display in Genesis chapter 1. In fact, the name God, his name in Genesis chapter 1, appears over 30 times in 31 verses. In fact, it's 35 times, as I, if I counted up correctly. So the point of Genesis 1 is about God. He's the main character. He is the one on display in Genesis chapter 1. And as we see in Genesis 1-1, before any creation, there was God. John 17 tells us he was eternally happy in the Trinity, the one God revealed in three persons, but he is one God. And we, and we get this echo of the Trinity in Genesis chapter 1 where Elohim God is in the plural, yet it's one God who is created, and that is the emphasis Psalm 90 verse 2 says this, Before the mountains were brought forth, 
Wherever you have formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We see again the Trinitarian thread being weaved throughout Scripture. But the point is, in the beginning, God. He was before all things. Here we read that God was not bound by anything or anyone. He is totally self-existent. He is eternal. He is everlasting from everlasting. And another word for this is the aseity of God. The aseity of God. Uh, if you were with us in the study of the Gospel of John, this word would be familiar with you. If you've gone through our equip class, this word, this thought would be familiar with you. The, the word aseity means um, in God there is life. So the aseity of God is. In God, there is life. Uh, God was not brought to, into existence. He always was. He always existed. In God, there was life. John 1, 4 says this. In him, there is life. That's what's being put on display in Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God. One said this. Arguably, the most fundamental distinction in all reality is presented to us in the opening verses of the Bible. It is the distinction between the creator, God, and everything else that exists anywhere. God alone is uncreated, self-existent. God's being depends on nothing else outside of God's own self. God alone is self-existent. God alone is eternal. And I want you to let that sink in. I mean, we talk about it, but let that sink in. Take it to heart this morning. That God, and only in God, there is life. Therefore, without God, you and I don't exist. I mean, I mean let that, take that to heart. Let that sink in this morning. Without God, we cannot live. We cannot exist. This means that God is qualitatively different than us. In other words, he's a, he's a different quality of being than us. This means ontologically, he's different from us. It means the state of being. He's a totally separate existing being than us. We depend on him. He does not depend on us. Many of us may have seen the movies Avengers. And what this means is, is that without God sustaining our lives, we would be like those towards the end of the movie in Avengers and just melt into dust and be blown away. He is the one that holds us together. He is the one that gives us life. This is very, one of the ways in which the God of the Bible is different from all the other gods. In the Old Testament in particular, we see in Habakkuk and Isaiah, when speaking about God of the Bible, in the beginning, God, this God, Elohim, compared to all the other uh, religions and their gods, we see that this God has life where all the other gods in Scripture, all the other gods in all the other religions have to be created by man. See this in Habakkuk and Isaiah, as I said. In Habakkuk, it says that, that man gets a tree. He brings it into his garage. He takes his wood carving tools and he carves this image. And then he sweeps up all the, all the dust and all the particles and all the wood chips. And he, and he throws them away. And then he goes into his garage and he bows down and worships that God. Where the God of the Bible, the God here, the one that has the aseity of life in him, he says this, I am the Lord and besides me there is no other. He's self-existent. He has life in him of himself. This separates Elohim from all other gods. In him is life. Again, take this personally this morning. 
take it personally that there's not, there's not six infinity stones, you know, kind of floating around the different worlds and the different galaxies. And if one guy gets on them, he controls all of life. No, all of life is controlled by the God who's everlasting from everlasting. The one who is full of love, mercy, grace, righteousness, and ultimately life. He is the one in control of your life. So thank the Lord for your life. We, we, we celebrate birthdays. And we have a lot of young families in here with a lot of young kids. What a great way to train up your child in the Lord. When we celebrate their birthday, it's a good gift for our children. They're a good gift for us. And we celebrate their birthday and we throw parties and we buy them presents. But just at the point, let's say, whoever your child is, Nate, Stephen, JT, Taylor, Madison, let's pause and thank the giver of your life, which is God. In the beginning, God. So celebrate birthdays. Teach our children about this God by saying that in him, in him alone, is the one who holds our life. So that's the first point. Our God is self-existent. He's eternal. In the beginning, God. That leads us to our second point, and this is where we'll spend the majority of our time, that our God is not only self-existent, eternal, but our God is the creator. He is the creator. Again, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Again, I love this. I believe this is a summary statement of creation. Uh, the Jews didn't have a word for universe like we do. They, they, so they talked in these ways, that, that God has created the heavens and the earth. It was their way of saying that God has created everything. It encompasses everything. It encompasses the sky above and, and the space and the stars and the sun and the moon. It, it, it encompasses what's below and what we're walking on, the earth, the trees, the, the land, the ocean, uh, the things that are visible, the things that are invisible. It, it, he's talking about atoms. It, it's, it encompasses everything, that God created everything. And he created everything from nothing. In the beginning, there was God before anything existed, before any earth, before any moon, any skies, any birds. There was God. Even before time, there was God. And then he spoke, and we see, and we'll study in the next couple of weeks, uh, creation came into existence. Colossians 1 informs us or gives us even more detail about God and his creation that Jesus was the executor of God the Father's plan of creation. Colossians 1.16, we, we went through this a couple weeks ago. It says this, for by him, that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. God is the creator. There are two words that Moses used uh, in Genesis chapter 1 for create. The one here, in the beginning, God created as bara. It means to, to shape, uh, to, to fashion, to, to create. And it's unique to God. Uh, it's used, I think, about 50 plus times in the, in the Old Testament. And it's always used to refer to God as the creator. Only God, only God creates. He's the only one that fashions out of nothing. Psalm 148 says this. It says, praise him, sun and moon, and praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and your waters above and, and of the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. So when we talk about ex nihilo, that God created out of nothing. This word, barah. Sometimes, uh, this is noteworthy. 
Now, in the creation account that goes from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2 4, um, this word bara is used uh, as bookends. And so, what, 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 what Moses is writing here is he's, he's saying that this creation has been created by this one Lord, this one God. He is the creator and the creator alone. The other word is asa, which means to make or produce or, or to prepare. It's used for God and man. And it usually is, is, is to create out of things that are already made. So we see bara is that God makes the material, and then asa, man, takes the material created and makes people create music. We create clothes and, and shoes and we make coffee and, and, we, and we and poems and write books and we create stuff. Genesis 5.1 uses both of these words uh, for God. This is the book of generations of Adam. When God Barak created man, he asat made him in the likeness of God. But here in Genesis 1.1, the emphasis is on God creating the world, the universe, both invisible and visible out of nothing. He is the only one that has this power. He is the one on display. It's all about God and his absolute power and creativity that is in him. This is what we see in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created So why is this so crucial to understand that God created everything? Why is this so crucial? Because what you believe about creation, what you believe about creation informs and directs your life. It's the foundational to your worldview. It's foundational on, on how you respond in life. Moses, remember, is writing to a specific people. He's writing to the nation Israel. They were just um, redeemed out of the nation of uh, Egypt. They're going to the promised land. And the first five books of the Bible were written, given uh, on Mount Sinai, etc. And Genesis is a part of that. And, And Moses is writing to the nation Israel. And once they get to this place, the promised land, they're going to be surrounded by a, a, a number of different other tribes, a number of different other people groups, another uh, with a bunch of other views on creation and religion, on who God is. And here Moses wants them to be grounded in the truth that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. They are, they are surrounded by religions known as polytheism, where, where people believed in many gods. You think of Egypt and, uh, and how many gods that they believed in, the ten plagues that God brought about against Egypt to release uh, the nation Israel, where the ten plagues represented the ten gods and goddesses of Egypt. And what the, the plagues represent is that this one God, this Elohim, the God of Israel, was greater and superior to all those other made-up gods and goddesses. There is one God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So in Israel, you're around all these other nations that believe in many gods, polytheistic. You are monotheistic. You believe in one God, the God who created the heavens and the earth. This is a major distinction to, to all the thoughts and philosophies and religions around Israel. The, the, other, the other one was pantheism. Pantheism is the idea that everything is a part of God. The sun, the moon, the trees, the birds, the animals. Everything is a part of God. Think of Avatar. Think of Star Wars. 
This is also in which the culture of Israel was living in. And so Moses writes to say, hey, in the beginning, God. God is not a part of creation. He is the one who created. He is separate from creation. He is over creation. He's not a part of creation. So this is why it's crucial and why Genesis 1-1 is so foundational. Not only to the nation of Israel, but to us because it informs our worldview. What we believe about creation directs our life. Now, all these religions had their own creation accounts. One that was, might have been uh, predominantly came from ancient Babylon, and it was called the Enuma Elish. Brian Hedges sums it up this way. This is, one again, one of the, the thoughts of creation, how the world began, that there were a bunch of gods out there vying for position. Every, these gods wanted to be the god, and it ended up being with two gods. One was Marduk, and the other was the goddess Tiamat. And they engaged in a battle. And Marduk killed Tiamat. And what he did to show that he was God, that he was victorious, is he cut Tiamat's body in half. And half of her body became the heavens, and half of her body became the earth. And then Marduk killed another god, a demon god, Quegu. And from his blood, he created humanity. This is what was being believed about creation around the nation of Israel. So therefore, they had to be solidified in the foundation of understanding their God, their creation account. Again, this was probably believed at the writing of Genesis. Therefore, part of the writing of Genesis was to combat the other teachings, the other worldviews of this polytheistic and pantheistic culture around them. Remember, Israel was given, as we will see as we go throughout Genesis, was given a mandate. They were a nation that was set apart, that was to be a holy among all these other people groups. And they were to use to be a blessing to those around them and point those people who were being misled to the one true God through the creation of count. The way they did that was in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is part of the reason why Moses wrote this. This is why this verse is so foundational. Again, not only to the nation Israel then, but to us now. Because we also live in a culture that has different creation accounts, don't we? For us, the prevailing one in the Western world is is the secular Western culture. And it's called naturalism. uh, Evolution. This is what many of your friends and family and people believe in. Therefore, we have to be and have our feet firmly planted in Genesis 1-1 so that we can point them to the truth. If you press and hold those who hold to this theory, they have to believe in what's called abiogenesis. Abiogenesis is this, the original evolution of life or living organisms come from inorganic or inanimate substances. In other words... To break it down, it's that life comes from non-life. This is what people believe in the creation of count. Or as one put it, Mark Dever put it this way, we came from nowhere. People believe this. They they believe that this, this wooden pulpit could someday become, with the right timing, the right gases, could become a living organism, could become Groot, right, from the Avengers, Right? And I don't know when I was writing this, but that's like the third or the second or third Avengers analogy I've given you guys this today, right? And at first, I thought, 
I paused and I thought, well, why? Well, maybe because Marvel's better than DC, right? Okay, that could be one point. Boo, I hear some boos. I, 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 this is where sometimes the internet can be bad. I, I actually, I want to say, well, who, who is more popular? So I got on the internet and said, what's more popular? And Marvel is more popular according to the people out there. They have better heroes, better villains, etc. But that's not the main reason. That's just a side note. But I think the reason why is because movies are modern day parables. Uh, people that create these movies, people that write these movies have a world view. And many of them have this naturalistic worldview. This is what is driving them. And they want you to believe in it. In fact, I did some more on the, the affinity stones and, and stuff like this. Um, these guys are presenting their worldview through these, these fictional stories. The affinity stones, if you, if, you, if you Google it, they existed before any other creation. And they got their power from the Big Bang, according to... Um, the writers of the Avengers. And so, again, we go to those movies, they're great entertainment, but, there's, but, but there is something behind them. There's worldviews behind those who are writing them. So, again, this, this idea of a, a biogenesis, that life comes from non-life. I was just down at the Denver Museum uh, looking at the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I, we, our family, we took the tour of the rest, and this is what it said when we came on, like, how did humanity come about? This was the quote that was there, the origin of life. The proper scene for the slow brewing of life from non-life was the early earth. The earth's conditions favored certain chemical combinations over others. And with the passage of time, a, direct, a direction was set. This quote is in our national museum as, as fact. And you read it as if, like, it's true. Like, it's a no-brainer. The, the proper scene for the slow brewing of life from non-life. Now, when you stop and think about it, you just, you just scratch your head. Now, the things about this is that people that believe this, naturalism, are smart people. Uh, they're, they're not dumb people. They, they sincerely believe this. Uh, they're your friends. They're, they're my friends. They're, they're your family. They're my family. Uh, they, they believe, if you press them, that Non-life somehow produce life. This is their worldview, and this is what drives their life. And on one level, I, I got to give these, these people props. I, I kind of admire them. Because do you understand the amount of faith that it takes to believe that to be true? That you can get life from non-life? I know personally, I don't have that faith. And it is a faith statement. It's not a scientific statement. It's a faith statement that non-life comes from, I mean, that life comes from non-life. So on one level, I admire these people that believe that sincerely because of the faith it takes for them to believe that. On another level, my heart breaks for them because when it comes to the big questions of life, why are you here? What is your purpose in life? They don't have any solid answers. In fact, their answers I would say are, are, are hopeless answers because they think creation, humanity, was just an accidental collection of atoms. Philosopher and mathematician Bertrand Russell said this, man is the product of causes, that his origin, his growth, his hopes, his fears, his loves, and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collection of atoms. 
How about that? Does that bring you hope? Where's the purpose in that outcome, an outcome of an accident? This is the worldview that people believe, and it forms their life and their directions. That's why Moses wanted us to be so clear on who our God was. So why do people believe in naturalism, Big Bang, evolution, as opposed to the Genesis 1-1 account? The simple answer is if you don't believe in a God, in creator God, you can live any way you want. If you believe that in the beginning an accidental collection of atoms happened, then there's no creator, there's no God. There's no one you have to submit your life to and follow and obey and love and worship. There's no sin that separates you from him. Therefore, you have no need of a savior. Welcome to survival of the fittest, right? This is what many people believe. This is their worldview. Again, this is what they base their life on. Everyone is out to get theirs regardless of how it affects others. And we see this playing out in our society in spades. And really this worldview is because of the fall that comes in Genesis chapter 3. Romans 1, and we're going to really dive into this next week. It says they choose to suppress the truth and worship the creation instead of the creator. Now, the majority of us in, in here believe in Genesis 1.1. We, we believe in the God of Scripture. We believe that he was in the beginning and he created all things by his power. We put our faith in an everlasting, self-existent God, the God that has life in of himself. We put a faith in the, the, to a God who's, who's intellectual and he's creative and he's all-powerful and he created the heavens and the earth and everything visible and invisible. And when it comes to the big questions of life, why are we here? What is my purpose? We have solid foundation to build on. Our answers are answers of hope and of conviction. Our worldview informs our lives and our answers. Genesis 1:27. Why am I here? What is my purpose? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. Why am I here? Because the, the God of life created us to bear his image, to, to be image bearers, as Jed touched base on last week. That's why we're here. That's why you and I created. We are created to bear his image. Image bearers are representatives, his ambassadors. A, a word you might want, we are his viceroys. A viceroy is this, it's, it's those who exercise authority on behalf of a sovereign. So we, bearing the image of God, our purpose is, is to bear God's image, is act on his behalf. To what he commands, we follow. And then that becomes our message. And what does it look like to to, to operate and to walk in God's image, 128. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and the heavens and over every living thing that moves. It looks like this. This is our purpose, to create image bearers, both physically and spiritually. Physically, we, we, we as a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, come together and, and we become one. We get married and then we, we have children. But it just doesn't end there. We just want to produce physical offspring, physical image bearers, but spiritual. We want to make disciples who make disciples. We want our children to love God, to love the creator, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then in that, we produce a godly society, a society of love, a society of mercy, 
society of humility and self-sacrifice. This is what our purpose is. If we believe in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God, God created the heavens and the earth. We believe in him. That informs our decisions. We now have a purpose. We know why we are here. And we live it out. Again, we're going to go into this in much more detail, especially when we look at day six of creation of humanity. But here's the point. The point is, in the midst of all the confusion, back when this was written and now, on creation, on, 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 on gods, on religion, we stand firm. Our worldview is built on the clarity of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And since we know the creator, we know the Savior. Because Colossians 1.16, we already said, for by him, Jesus, everything was created. Verse 20 says this, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So the God in Genesis 1.1, as we read the New Testament, is Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross for your sin and my sin. The creator points us to the Savior because he is one and the same. God created the heavens and the earth, and since we know the creator, we can also know the Savior. So this is why Genesis 1-1 is so important. We don't get it wrong. Because when you miss the creator, you miss the Savior. And when you miss the Savior, you miss life and life abundantly. But if you get the creator... If you know who the creator is, then you will know the savior. And because you know the savior, you know life. And you can have it abundantly. Jesus says, I am the life and the resurrection of life. I am the resurrection and the life. You want to know life? You know the savior. You want to know the savior? You know the creator. They all go hand in hand. So, With that, because we know the Savior, because you know the Savior, you know the Creator, and we live in Colorado. So what I want you guys to do today is experience this verse firsthand, like we do every day. But but when you walk out those doors, think, I know the one who created this intimately, personally. In fact, he created to reveal himself to us so that we can enjoy him more. One of the great ways that we can do it, we live in Colorado, is the aspen trees are starting to change, right? The colors are starting to change. Uh, Drew and I were up in the mountains this passing, and they're already starting to change. And it's amazing, these aspen trees. Did you know that the aspen tree is the largest living organism on planet Earth? This is God's creation, And we get to experience the beauty of his creation in these trees as they turn. So if you get a chance, drive up to Estes Park today. Drive to Aspen. Drive up to the mountains to see God's creation. Experience that. Experience his love, his power, his creativity. And if you can't make it up to the mountains, go for a walk today and enjoy a sunset. The point is, be mindful of creation. With Genesis chapter 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. 
enjoy the creator of the universe. He has made himself known to you in Jesus. So get outside. Enjoy the glory of God. Lastly, and quickly, our God is sovereign. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does it say? And since there's a beginning, we assume that there's an end, right? So there's a beginning. There's a, God has a purpose. He has a plan. He's, he's executing something. In the beginning, God, we, we know that, okay, he's begun, but he's going to pull something to completion, finish. We often talk about the storyline of the Bible here, and, and we talk about creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, and we say that, but I just want to give you a picture of what that is and how we track the storyline of the Bible. Uh, creation is, is, is in Genesis 1 and 2, that God created out of nothing the heavens and the earth and everything invisible and visible in there. He created man and there was and, and, and trees and animals and, and the moon and the stars and the sun and the oceans and, and everything was in harmony. And he said it was very good. And in particular, the relational harmony that was. Uh, there was harmony between creation and humans. There was harmony between humans and humans. We, Adam and Eve, they lived in perfect love and unity. There was unity and harmony between God and man. But then as we see and as we know in Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall. And the fall, it, it, it kind of is highlighted from Genesis 3 to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi. And in this we have sin and death entering and destroying the relationships. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, they, they chose to reject the giver of life. They chose to reject the ruler and choose their own path, which led to destruction and death. And we see immediately, as we talked about last week, Jed highlighted the, the, the downroll, downroll spiral, spiral of sin and death. I mean, it happened immediately. But also in the fall, we have the glimmer of hope. We have the grace of God because immediately as the fall happened, immediately the grace of God happened with a future serpent crusher found in Genesis 3.15. I love how Jed kind of summed up the fall last week. He said, in this section, we have hope in the midst of death. That is so true. We have hope in the midst of death because in the midst of this sin and this rebellion, we see the grace of God that is pointing to the Savior, the serpent crusher. And then that brings us to redemption. Redemption is basically the New Testament from, from Matthew to Jude. And here we see the serpent crusher is revealed. It's Jesus, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And in Jesus, in his perfect life, he lived. And his death on the cross made payment for sin. And his resurrection, this is where sin and death was abolished, was dealt with. It is here that we are reconciled now back to the creator God. Unity, fellowship, harmony. Because of what Jesus has done for us. He gives us life and life abundantly. But it's fullness. We don't have its fullness yet. Uh, we, we also talk about this state and is already but not yet. We have the gospel. We have forgiveness. We have unity. But we haven't had it in fullness yet. We're still in, in this Genesis 3 world. And that leads us to restoration. The yet comes in the book of Revelation. Where we have the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Jesus to establish his kingdom physically and spiritually and visibly in the new heaven and the new earth. And when we read the final two chapters of, of uh, Revelation 21 and 22, we see something very similar of Genesis 1 and 2. We see that the end is echoing something in the beginning. 
In fact, it's, it's, it's even on a much bigger scale. We see that we, in the end, we live in a garden city. And it's not just Adam and Eve, but it's with every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That these people surpass the stars in the sky. We see that there's a river of life, and we see there's a tree of life. And we see who's in our midst is Jesus himself, God himself. In fact, there's no need for a son because he is there. And his very presence is life. And this is, this is restoration. This is what the Lord, the sovereign God, is bringing us to. This is the end. Now, I don't know about you, but that brings me incredible hope. This past month has been... Uh, just a really difficult time for our family. I mean, I, I, in my 47 years, this, this might be one of the most difficult months that, that we've walked through in a long, long time. Um, we first thought Maddie fractured her hip again. But by God's grace, it wasn't fractured. She was just growing pains. But it was a, it was a traumatic, it was tough for her. We see that Stephen has... Um, uh, some of you guys remember, but six years ago, he got really sick for about six to eight months and, and basically whittled down to nothing. Doctors couldn't figure out what, what it was. He's got those same symptoms back, same, same diagnosis, so we got to go to Children's Hospital to figure out what we can do. Uh, my brother gets arrested. My grandma dies. This is, this is all happening. And because of Genesis 1-1, we have hope. I have hope. There is peace. Is there grief? Is there a little worrying? Is there anxiety? Absolutely. But when I was up in the mountains, we see that these aspen trees have these big old bite marks out of them. You know who's eating the aspen trees to stay alive? The moose. The moose. God created this world. He created aspen trees so that moose could live in the mountains. How much more does he care about you and me? In Acts chapter 4, I don't know if you guys remember this, it was one of the first times the persecution of the church of the, of the apostles. And they were arrested, they were beaten, and they were told not to talk anymore about Christ and, and this. And when they go back to report to the people, it says this. What gave them hope? What gave them peace? What gave them the ability to get through the difficult difficulties in Genesis chapter, being living in a Genesis chapter 3 world? It says this in Acts chapter 4. It says, and when they heard of it, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. And the sea and everything in them. That's where their hope was. That's where their foundation was. It was in the creator God. It was the one who created the heavens and the earth and everything. It's where the apostles stood on solid ground in the midst of trial and temptation. It's where I stand in the midst of trial and temptation. It's where you stand. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is our hope. This is our peace. This is where we live. This is the hope 
of our worldview and what drives our lives. This is the end. This restoration period. It's already but not yet. So will you join me with John, the writer of Revelation, whose last prayer, whose last supplication, whose last request is found in Revelation 22, 20, where it says, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. We know that because there was the beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that you are bringing this earth to an end, to a restoration process. Man jacked it up. Adam and Eve jacked it up. But they can't overthrow your plan. Immediately as sin and death entered, immediately the serpent crusher, the one who was to come in Jesus, was announced. And then Jesus did come. And he lived and he died and he rose again. And then he went away. And we are in a state longing for you to come back. And so we pray with John, come, Lord Jesus, come. And as you come in your time, only you know that time, Lord, I pray that we stand on the rock of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen.